Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Good morning, Hope Church. My name is Carrie. For those of you who don't know, I'm one of the teachers here at Hope, and you'll just have to bear with me because if... If you're like me and you get a little emotional during worship sometimes, I might take a minute to like clean the mascara up here. But um, I'm so glad that you're here, so glad to celebrate this day with you. And um, for those of you who are just joining us, we're in the middle of a series right now um, around the Enneagram, which is a personality tool. And we're calling it You, Me, and God because it's really this, this tool that we believe is going to help us, first of all, to understand ourselves, to understand the strengths and the weaknesses that we have and how we can bring those things to God and allow him to work through us. Um, but for me, one of the things that's especially important about this series is we look around right now at this world we live in and there's a lot of division, right? You don't have to go any farther than Facebook to see that. And I think even for for us after COVID, I don't know about any of you, but I feel like COVID kind of set us at this situation where our, our baseline ability to cope with difficult things or people is, has been like lowered, I think. So even, even like staying out late, I was just talking to someone um, this morning and last night I was out at an event, I was out till 1 a.m. Guys, I don't think I've been out till 1 a.m. I don't even think I've been out till like 11 a.m. or 11 p.m. I should say, since COVID, right? Like eight o'clock rolls around and I'm like, put me in bed. I'm, I'm sit, all I wanna do is watch my Netflix. Um, so like my, my perseverance even to stay out late has been lowered. So for you, maybe you're here and in this series you're learning maybe how other people think, how other people process things. And this can be a tool for us to say, man, I don't like, I don't like difficult people and maybe our tendency is to pull back and to separate and to isolate or to divide. And I think this is a tool that can help us to connect again, to really have empathy and to love one another as well. And then, bless you. And then this series also gives us this opportunity to really connect with God and to say, okay, God made each of us uniquely. And you might look around and say, oh man, this person connects with God this way and this person grows spiritually this way. But this is a tool that can help us understand maybe this is how I need to grow. This is where I can take steps for my faith. So we hope that you're getting that as we go. And for those of you who may be new and this sounds a little um, foreign to you, if you want to go back, I encourage you to look back at some of the previous messages or we even have some resources we could share with you. So feel free to see myself or Tom afterwards, we can um, check you or hook you up with that or go on the website there. Um, but today we're going through, you've noticed each number, there's nine numbers in this Enneagram. And so today we're going to be looking at the number three. Uh, so a quick overview. First of all, we've been doing our princesses, our Disney princesses every week. So um, I, this week's number is represented by Tiana. I don't know if we have our picture of Tiana there. There she is. I have actually, I, I hate to say this, but I have not watched this movie. I don't know if it's just when it came out and my kids were not whatever, but so I, have not, I don't have a whole lot to say about her, but she's the princess that goes with the three. The three, you should know, is called the performer or achiever. Uh, you might be a three if you are goal-oriented, if you feel that you must be successful. Now, I want to clarify, successful doesn't necessarily mean like climbing the corporate ladder, like success as we might think stereotypically. For threes, they want to be successful according to what those around them consider successful. We're going to learn a little bit more about that. Uh, you might be a three if you're image conscious, if you're self-motivated, if you're optimistic, um, if you enjoy the spotlight, 
Other people maybe are afraid of the stage, afraid of public speaking, not the threes. They thrive on the spotlight. Um, a three likes to be busy. Other people might check out by, by not being busy, by avoiding work, but threes, man, th that might actually be the way that you numb sometimes. Um, you'd like to be productive. Um, sometimes you feel that if you stop doing, that you will not be as valuable. And you're always working towards a long-term goal. <clears throat> so for a three, you're not just, you don't just have a short-term goal, you always have to be working towards the next thing and the next thing. <clears throat> you might be a three, if you're, one of your biggest fears or one of your biggest uh, concerns would be that you would fail at something. And this isn't just big failures. For a three, um, even like a criticism or, or a mistake they make might feel like a failure, um, especially if, if they feel like others are perceiving that they're a failure. So quick, quick note, I think that I am a three, which might surprise some of you. Um, but one, one three story that I have, um, my mother, we, all of our mothers teach us something, right? And my mother taught me that when you park in the parking lot at night, you always park under the light because there could be people that might try to, you know, somehow, I don't know, like be under the car, get in the car, or whatever they would have. My mom like would teach me all these things and I'm like, mom, you taught me to be paranoid. This is not helpful, thank you. Um, but I went to Manchester Community College for a while and I went um, in the evening and I would have these classes and I remember one day driving home from community college and this thing that my mom said suddenly occurred to me. I was, I'm sitting here singing at the top of my lungs and I was like, what if somebody climbed in the back of my van? And what if as I'm driving here, right now, as we speak, I'm gonna like look in the rear view and gonna, their face is gonna pop up. And a normal person would be afraid that if someone was in the back of their van, their, their biggest concern would be I'm going to die, right? But do you know what my thought was? No. They were gonna hear me singing and, and I was a little off key. I was, it was a little pitchy. So for a three, you might actually be more afraid that you're gonna look bad in front of someone than that they're going to kill you. So, you know, that might be how you know you're a three. Threes thrive on validation and praise. Um, they are really good at, um, they can be really good at self-promotion. Some threes can be, uh, maybe even sales. I'm not that three, I'm not a salesperson, but, um, but a lot of threes can. Um, a three could be, as Suzanne Stavile says, the poster child for multiple organizations because they are able to flex and adapt and kind of be what each group needs. And that is um, both a strength and a weakness for, for the three. In fact, I would say um, we talked about the nine, the peacemaker, and how they're kind of a chameleon. They can blend in with other people, and they kind of um, can take on the preferences and the opinions of other people. I would say the three is more of like a shapeshifter. They don't want to blend in. They want the spotlight. They want, to be, they want to be seen. But they can walk into a room, and they can read kind of what people might need them to be, and they can kind of feel like they're always on, like they kind of need to put on, whether it's a mask or sort of present what other people might want them to be. Um, I laughed. I was talking to someone this week about, I was like, when you walk into a room, do you, do you like instinctively know what people might need from you? And this person was like, no, I walk in and I keep my head down and I avoid talking to people. And that is not a three. Okay, a three wants to be connecting to other people, but they may find that they get um, a little overwhelmed sometimes socially um, if you feel like you're exhausted because you have to be on or you have to sort of always be what other people might need you to be. <clears throat> um, the Enneagram... 
or the three is in the heart triad. I mean, I know we've, we've gone through this message. You've noticed that there's kind of three different categories that these numbers are in. Um, so Tom just finished last week talking about the one, the perfectionist, and the one, the eight challenger, and the nine peacemaker are all in the gut or anger triad. And today we're moving into the heart or shame triad. And Beatrice Chestnut and Oranio Pass in their book, The Enneagram Guide to Waking Up, say, the heart triad people are usually emotionally intelligent and empathetic. They value connection and relationships, but can be overly focused on image and fear rejection. And so this could be true of the, the Enneagram 3 number that I'm talking about today, the 2, which we'll talk about soon, which is the helper, and also the 4, which is the individualist or romantic. <clears throat> um, Threes are definitely in the, this, they, they have a lot of emotions, but for a three, they tend to suppress feelings and emotions because they aren't always sure that those things are acceptable. And so you may be someone who, I mean, if you feel like anger or being overly needy or being overly anything, um, you might try to suppress those things in order to be what you think other people want. In fact, I think threes, especially if you're in an environment where you feel like emotions are not accepted, then you might be especially prone to stuffing those. A three, and this is, this is part of the problem, and as you're stuffing all these things, the three's um, sin or big weakness is sloth. Or sorry, not sloth, that's the nines, we covered that. Uh, it's deceit. See, I'm a three and I'm trying to pretend that my, my sin is something else. Um, <laughs> the three's big sin problem is deceit. And you might be thinking, oh my gosh, my four-year-old is constantly lying. He must be a three. Let me just tell you right now, a three, it's not that they're pathological liars. It's more that they, they might put a positive spin on things. They might try to like um, make their accomplishments sound better than they are or, or you know, put themselves in a positive light. But to be honest, the person that the three most often deceives is themselves. Okay, because when you're putting on a mask, when you feel like you need to be something for other people, or you're constantly trying to achieve according to what other people view as success, it's very easy for you to lose sight of who you really are and the kind of person that you really are um, and to kind of lose sight of the purpose that maybe you're running towards as you stay so busy. I actually think... Um, maybe for, for you as a three, you may notice this. If you, if you slow down, sometimes when you slow down, you may have this, this moment of panic because you're so busy all the time and that's what you feel like gives you validation and, and purpose so that when you do slow down and you sit with your own thoughts for a while, you may have this feeling of, oh my gosh, what if all I'm doing is not actually purposeful? What if, what if I'm not actually going towards the direction or the thing that I, that I most want or that God most wants? And so threes need to begin to find themselves again. Um, and threes also, again, have this avoidance of failure. In fact, you may be so afraid to fail that there are certain things that you might not even try if you think you can't accomplish it. And threes, again, as, as we grow and as we uh, surrender to God and let him work in us, we need to learn to, to allow God to show us who we really are and then to be comfortable showing that and presenting that to the world. Um, one thing that has helped me, there was a quote I heard, and I don't know where I heard this from, but as a three, um, someone said to me once, what is something that you would rather fail at than succeed at anything else? What is the thing that you'd rather fail at than succeed at anything else? And by that, they kind of meant, listen, you, I, I could be great at a lot of different things, and I could, I could uh, be successful according to other people, 
but what is that thing that I would really regret if I didn't do it, even if I fail at it? So like for me, I love to write. I'm working on this novel that I've been working on forever. Um, I know that I might, I might publish that novel and maybe two people read it and that feels like a failure, but I know in my heart of hearts that I come alive when I write and that God is working with me when I do that, that task. And so for me, I have to say, even if I fail at that, I would rather do it than, than succeed at a lot of other things that maybe make other people happy but aren't my purpose. So ask yourself that if you're a three. Um, so another quick thing here, threes are, threes are very busy and they are hard workers, they want to get things done, but I know Tom talked last week about how a one, the perfectionist or the um, reformer, they walk into a room and they immediately see the thing that is done wrong, right? The difference is that the three walks into a room and sees the thing that is just undone. And they want to fix it, but they don't really care if it's done perfectly, they want it to be done efficiently, and they don't mind cutting corners. So for example, I, we, we found out months ago that I was going to have a three-year-old staying with us for a while, and I was like, I really need to put a, a baby gate over my pantry, because Kendra came over and organized my pantry, and I'm not going to have that thing undone. So I went in the basement, I found this wooden gate, and I like, you know, hacked off part of it, I found some hinges, I brought the thing upstairs, and I put that on my, on my pantry. Now, did I, did I pre-drill the holes for the screws? Did I, did, I level, did I take a level out and measure that thing? No. I just grabbed a power drill and screwed the thing in the, in the door frame, and I was like, all right, it's done, great. All right, I can move on to the next thing that will give me purpose and validation, right? If a one came to my house and looked at that baby gate, they would have a heart attack, okay? It is not done well or perfectly, but it is done. So that's the three. They want to just get things done. And the other thing about threes, you may have heard people say, oh, it's impossible to multitask. Threes know better. We can multitask. In fact, I've heard that threes are the best of all the people out there at multitasking. We do really well with that. And actually, Suzanne Stabile would say that even when it comes to processing our emotions, sometimes threes do that better when they're multitasking. And I found this to be true for myself. Like when I'm driving, when I'm engaged in another task, that's often when I'm able to really process and get in touch with my emotions. So you might find that's true for you, and that might be a strategy you use as a three to kind of get in touch with, with what you are feeling. Um, so the, oh, the one thing I would say, though, to that is this. As a three, um, you have to be careful when it comes to relationships and when it comes to people. Sometimes threes want to be so productive that we can sort of um, put productivity over people. And especially like today's Mother's Day, as, as parents, you have to know that even if you can get multiple things done at the same time well, your kids know when you're not present with them. And I struggle with this so much, so I'm preaching to myself, I have to learn over and over that I, my kids need all of me and it's, you know, sometimes I'll find myself sitting with my three-year-old and I'm like, let's play the game where I clean up while you play with your toys. And she, like, they know, they know when you're not fully there. So please, please threes, do not, do not multitask when it comes to your kids. At least find those moments where you can shut everything else out and just be present with them or with your spouse or with your friend um, because people, people need to know that you, are va that you value them. And in fact, sometimes threes in the midst of your to-do list, sometimes it's actually helpful to schedule like, time with your people so that you can say, you know what, this is on my to-do list. This is part of my schedule for today. And then you don't feel like you're missing something or you're not being productive because you know that those people in your life are important and you're being intentional with them. All right, we're really going to quickly talk about the wings. We've talked a little bit about this. This is the number on either side of you. Um, so for a three, that could be a two, which is the helper, or the four, which is the uh, romantic or individualist. Um, 
So for twos with a, or sorry, for threes with a two wing, Renee Barron says they tend to be warmer, more encouraging, sociable, popular, and seductive. And those with a four wing tend to be more introspective, sensitive, artistic, imaginative, and uh, she says pretentious. Again, if you're a three, you can take it or leave it. You can deceive yourself if you want. You don't have to be pretentious. Um, <laughs> I have found, so I will just add this quick clarifier. Um, so the three is image conscious and kind of wants to put, present something to the world that they think the world wants to see. And the four, as we'll find out, wants to be very authentic and actually gets annoyed with people who are inauthentic. Um, so I think this is my wing, and so I kind of feel the struggle constantly. Like, I want to present something that people like, but I also desperately want to be authentic. And so I think that helps me sometimes, actually. My four wing helps me to be a little more vulnerable. Um, and you'll find that you can, again, we can kind of draw on the strength of other numbers um, and learn how to be a healthier version of ourselves. Now, when, th when threes are um, healthy, they understand that they're not what they do and they, they stop needing so desperately to get that validation. Um, in security, they move towards the, the six and they're more in touch with feelings and they're better at doing things for the benefit of the group rather than just themselves. Um, in stress, they move towards that nine number, the, the peacemaker, where they can become a little more procrastinating, indecisive, they might numb out a little more, and they might become passive-aggressive. Um, so I want to share a couple verses that might be encouraging uh, for, for a three, or that might represent the three, um, and also that might be a challenge for the three. And then I'm going to um, close out with a, a story of someone that um, hopefully will encourage us all um, whether, whether you relate to this personality or not. <clears throat> so for a three, one thing that I think might be um, a, a representation of us is 1 Corinthians 9, 21 through 23. This is Paul talking, and he says, um, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Now I think a three is kind of like, you want me to be all things to all people? I'm there. I've done it. Check. I'm good. And I want to say that this, this is a reminder that, um, again, you might think of, of like an unhealthy three, that masking, that like needing, that feeling that you need to be something for other people in order to get validation, that's an unhealthy version of this personality. But I want you to know that, that God can use that part of your personality in a really strong way. And it is actually a beautiful thing if, if someone who relates to this personality, that you have the ability to go and connect with people and to, and to be a bridge and to find commonalities and to, to even share with them maybe then the gospel of, of Christ through, um, through that connection that you make. So I want you just to know that when you surrender that personality to God, it can be a beautiful gift and you can use it for the benefit of his kingdom and for others. Um, and we just have to constantly be laying that down so we, don't, um, so we don't lean towards that temptation to connect with others in order to get that validation that we feel like we need. Um, another thing that, um, that a three, I think, understands really well is Ephesians 2.10, which says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I think other numbers might, might feel like, oh, I'm not really sure that I was made for something important or to do something, and I think a three is like, man, yes, I, give me the to-do list. Good works, I have, whatever it is, God, I'm gonna go do it. I'm ready, I'm all in, I will be there. But the number three needs to remember verses eight and nine, which says, it's by grace, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. 
It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Um, we have to remember that we, do, we can do and do and do and do, but it is only through God's grace and it is only with him working in and through us that we accomplish good works, right? In fact, it's, we have to remember that we don't produce love or goodness or, or like we don't produce our own value. God has given us that freely before we even began the job or the work that he gave us. And we desperately need to remember that. And we also need to remember, and there's a passage that talks about how you know, we, can, we can be um, generous and give all we have to the poor. We can, um, we can surrender our, our body to the flames. We could literally be a martyr. But if we don't have love, we're just a clanging gong. We're just a resounding symbol. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And so threes need to be remembered to be rooted in Christ and his purpose and let him love others through us. In fact, I think one way that we need to do that as threes is we need to remember to rest. I think, I think the Sabbath, taking a Sabbath might be the hardest command, one of the hardest commands for a three. Um, and so you need to know this. If you, if you struggle to rest, if you struggle to relax, it is not a sin to relax. In fact, it is a command. God commands that we take time, that we rest, that we cease from work. And you need to remember that the God of the universe rested from his work. And if the God of the universe, who actually is the one controlling everything, who actually keeps the world spinning, if he can rest, so can you. So can you. And it will not take away from your purpose. It will not take away from your productivity. In fact, it is only when we can sit with God and feel his presence and know his voice that we can become more confident of what God wants for us, that we become more rooted in where he wants us to go, that we become more rooted in love and less in productivity. And we aren't just spinning our wheels and running on the hamster wheel because it forces us to stop and surrender every week once again to God. And that's true for all of us. Um, one book that might be helpful for you, I remember reading um, a book called The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. And actually, I remember being very excited about this book and telling Tom that he had to read this book. And Tom was like, okay, that was an okay book. And I was like, what do you mean it was an okay book? Um, but, you, but I find that for different personalities, that it connected with me, that, that talking about rest was so important for me because of my personality. All right, so I want to kind of wrap up the rest of our time briefly with a story from the Bible about a man that I believe represents a three. And his name is Jacob. Maybe you've heard of him. He was the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham, and his mother was Rebekah. He is the twin brother of Esau. Now, why do I think he might have been a three? All right, first of all, back in Jacob's day, there was no, um, you know, social media um, achievement to be won. There was no, like, corporate ladder so much. But there was definitely titles and accolades and prestige. And Jacob was going to have those things, okay? So we'll see that Jacob was a twin brother, but his, his brother Esau was technically born before he was. And as a result, in that time, um, that meant that his brother would get the, the birthright. He would get a greater inheritance. Um, and so Jacob was like, I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that birthright. I am going to get this title. And so you're going to find, uh, we, we find that at one point, Jacob's brother goes out hunting, and he comes back, and he is starving, and he is so hungry. And Jacob says to him, listen, I made this lovely stew, this just like tantalizing stew. Here, smell it. See? I know you're so hungry, and, and I would actually give you this stew. I really would, but I just, all you need to do is give me your birthright. 
And Esau, who I think is, is possibly a, an eight challenger with a seven wing, just saying, I don't know, throwing it out there. He's very impulsive, and he's like, yes, I'm so hungry I could die, so yes, please, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely take the stew in exchange for my birthright. And according to Wikipedia, Wikipedia, I gotta love it, um, so take this with a grain of salt. Um, he says the birthright that had to do with position and inheritance. By birthright, the, the firstborn son would have inherited the leadership of the family and the judicial authority of the father, um, and also a double portion of the paternal inheritance. So that is, is really what, what Jacob was after here. Um, but Jacob continues, okay? Um, he, he has the birthright, but also um, his father Isaac, when Isaac is about to die, he, he wants to bless his oldest son. And here's another, uh, you know, another moment in the Bible where, the, really, if you're a parent, you do not want to take your cue from Old Testament parents. Like, most of them are terrible role models. So Rebecca, the mother, clearly plays favorites, and she's like, listen, Jacob, here's what you need to do. You can get this blessing from your father, and all you have to do is go and pretend to be your brother Esau, right? So she literally helps him to like, dress up like her hairy other son so that he seems like Esau. Um, and this, again, I know is an exaggeration, but to me it represents the three because that three feels like they need to put on a mask. They feel like they need to become someone else in order to get a blessing, in order to get validation from other people. And so here is what Esau, or what Jacob does, he literally pretends to be his brother and he goes in to his poor blind father, right, and tricks his blind father and he pretends to be Esau and sure enough, Isaac, his father, gives him this blessing. Um, now, Rebecca, the mother, afterwards realizes, oh, okay, I have, a, I have an oldest son who is very angry and impulsive and probably now wants to kill Jacob because Jacob stole the blessing that was rightfully his, right? So she then rethinks her, her decisions, and she says, Jacob, I think I'm going to send you away just to be safe. I'm going to send you to my brother Laban, and you can stay there for a while until this thing blows over with Esau. So Laban, um, she, she sends Jacob on his way to Laban. Um, and here, again, is another example of where I think that Jacob um, represents a three because he is very hardworking. When he arrives at Jacob's house, um, or sorry, Laban's house, Laban puts him to work, and Laban has flocks, and so Jacob takes care of the flocks. And at one point, Laban says, you know what, I know your relative, I know your family, but I still want to pay you, so what, name your wages, and I will give them to you. And again, patriarchal culture trigger here. He says, I will work for your daughter's hand in marriage because I really love Rachel. And so Rachel, this daughter, he wants to work in exchange for her hand in marriage. And Laban says, okay, that's fine. Seven years, how does that sound? Work for me seven years and I will give you my daughter's hand in marriage. And Jacob is like, sure, no problem. No problem at all. In fact, he says, uh, in Genesis 29, 20, it says, Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Okay? So he had no problem working. And then there's a plot twist, and it's a long, complicated story, but uh, Laban gives, instead of giving Rachel to Jacob to marry him, he gives his other daughter, Leah, to marry Jacob, and then he tricks Jacob and basically says, well, now if you want to marry Rachel too, you're going to have to work an extra seven years, which Jacob does. He's like, okay, no problem, not a, not a problem at all. Um, but poor Leah, if you read that story, this is a sad story for Leah. Nobody wants to be the second choice in a, in a marriage situation there, so that's, that's another story for another day. Um, but Jacob is a hard worker. But then there's another thing we see 
And I want to I back up here for a minute because when Jacob is on his way to Laban initially, uh, there's this moment that maybe, you, maybe actually you've heard of. If you've heard the story of Jacob, you might associate him with um, the stairway to heaven. He has this dream overnight on his way to Laban that there's these angels going up and down the stairway to heaven and God speaks to him in this dream and he says to Jacob, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So Jacob has this moment, this like powerful moment with God where God gives him this promise, right? But if you're a three, in fact, I think, I think all of our personalities, no matter what personality it is, we have a tendency sometimes to look to things outside of God to fulfill what God promises to us. And for a three, I think sometimes God will tell us, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to watch over you. And a three is like, okay, I will take care of that myself. I, I, okay, God, great, I kind of trust you, but also I don't, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to find a way to, to fulfill your promise through my own productivity. And so we see that a little bit here. Even though Jacob had this beautiful promise from God, um, he tries to get ahead financially through, through his own ways. And so um, later on, after, after he continues to work for Laban, Laban says, okay, what are the wages now that I can give you? And we see in Genesis 30, he tells Laban, Okay, let me go through all your flocks today and remove every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages. And honesty will testify for me in the future. Whenever you check on the wages you have paid me, any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not dark-colored will be considered stolen. So basically, he's like, I'm going to take the ones basically that seem defective, like the ones that are speckled, streaked, um, and that will be my wages. And that sounds like a very altruistic thing to do, but then there's this whole like, awkward process where Jacob then goes and finds a way to like, um, have the animals mate in such a way that all the speckled ones and all the streaked ones like, be- mate with the healthy ones. And are- so his flock becomes bigger and larger, and there's something about a leaf involved. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to seminary just for this reason, so I can figure out <laughs> what Jacob did. I don't understand. But, but he's tricking his uncle, right? He's, he's, growing his, he's growing his flock, and it looks... It looks all above board, above, you know, that he's doing it in a good way, but really he's being deceitful. And I think it's another sign that he thinks that he needs to provide, that he needs to produce the blessing of God apart from God. And I really wonder how that story would have been different if, he, if we would have seen him trust God and let God grow his, his provision for Jacob his way instead of Jacob's way. And I want to end here then with, with a, a last couple of thoughts. As, as Jacob grows in wealth and finally he decides to leave his, his, um, his uncle Laban, he sets out with his family, he sets out with this now huge ill-gotten flock that he has. Um, and on the way to this place that he's going, he's going to pass his brother Esau. And if you remember, Esau is the one that was very angry. And even though so many years have passed, Jacob is still very nervous that, that Esau is going to harm him. Um, and I actually see when he finally encounters his brother, it's, it's such a three thing for him to do. Um, his brother, he sends like gifts ahead to his brother. He's like, here, take all these things. I want to make you happy. I want you to, to be happy with me and to not, you know, not feel like um, any ill will towards me. I want to be liked. But you also can see that Jacob is not going, you know, there's, there's some personalities, and I actually am envious of the personalities that can just say what they mean and not, not worry what people think. That is so hard for me. And so you see this with Jacob. When he talks to his brother, um, his brother says, hey, I'll, why don't I walk with you? Why don't I guide you on your journey and I can escort you down the road a while? And what Jacob wants to say to his brother is, I still think you're going to kill me. 
I don't trust you, and there's no way I'm going to let you escort me on my journey. But what he actually says is, oh, that's so nice of you to offer, but you know, if I drive my animals too hard, they're all going to die. I couldn't possibly accept your help. I'm so sorry, you know? Like, and so he does not say what he means. He kind of says what he thinks will placate his brother. And I think that's another way that he represents the three sometimes. Um, but I want you to notice this. Um, we're going to end on this thought. Right before he encounters his brother, right before he enters this stressful situation, I think um, for all of us, sometimes when we have stressful moments, it really brings out um, the truth of who we are and the truth of our, um, our personality, our weakness. And when you're under stress, as Jacob is under stress because he knows he has to meet his brother, and so he has this moment that I think is important for all of us to have. And so we look at Genesis 32, verse 22, it says this, the night before he meets Esau, that night Jacob got up, he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me, unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob asked him to tell him his name. And he replied, why do you ask me my name? And he blessed him there. And I want, to, I want to just pause for one second and look at this. First of all, like, if we look at the beginning of this, metaphorically, Jacob sends ahead his, his possessions. He sends ahead all the people that he cares about. I think if you're a three, sometimes when you get to this place where you need to meet with God, it is important that you separate yourself from the possessions that you think give you security, from the possessions or the accolades or the achievements that you think give you insignificance, Send those on ahead of you. And the people, even the people that you love and care about that are important to you, sometimes you need to let them go ahead, give yourself distance from them so that you can sit with God and not worry what anyone else is thinking or not fear what anyone else needs from you and not try to be anything and let and just sit with God. We find out that this person he's actually wrestling with is God himself. And he has this moment where he just lets it all out, lets, it, lets everything be and he's honest with God and he wrestles with him and I think for a personality that feels like they constantly have to mask around other people often we always feel like we need to mask around God himself and we feel like somehow we're not doing enough for God that we're not making him happy that we're not somehow living up to what he wants us to be and it's very hard for us to be honest about our weakness and we have to say okay God I'm just going to wrestle with you I'm just going to be honest and I'm going to tell you things that I'm frustrated about I'm going to let out all the emotions that I don't think are acceptable because God sees you and God already loves you and he wants to bless you and he wants to have you and, and let you feel his presence. And so I think sometimes when we're able to distance ourselves just long enough from the noise, from the people, from the things, then we're able to wrestle with God. And you're going to find that just as Jacob did, 
we come and, and we sometimes want to put on a perfect, polished self. And when we wrestle with God, so we're going to be aware of a weakness. We're going to be vulnerable. And just like Jacob had this weakness when he, of this limp when he walked away from that encounter with God, we might walk away with, with a realization of our weakness and our vulnerability when we encounter God. But that is actually a gift to us because God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And we need to know that. And I also want you to know this. You notice that, that God renames Jacob? I think sometimes as a three, we're trying so hard to make a name for ourselves, to name ourselves, and to prove something to other people. And God's like, I have named you. I have named you. And you don't have to perform to be that name because it is, it is an identity I've given you first as my child. And when I name you, that is the purpose I have for your life, and you can walk in that freely, and you don't have to earn it. We can stop trying to become something and let God tell us who we are, and more importantly, whose we are. And so I'm going to pray as we leave, and I would just encourage you, um, especially if you feel like you need to put on a mask with God. Listen, we're not going to learn to be real and authentic with other people if we can't first do that with God himself and to know without a shadow of a doubt that we are okay in his presence just as we are. So I want to pray over you as we leave just that you would have that moment. God, I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you for that, that song we sang um, that your love is uncontainable and unchanging, that there is nothing we have to do to earn more love, that no amount of achievements will ever um, be needed to be seen and loved and valued by you. God, I pray for each person, um, for anyone who feels that they have to pretend to put on a show with you, um, I pray that those masks would drop. I pray that that performance would drop, that they would recognize your vast love for them, even right now in this moment. I pray, God, that you'd give us a holy confidence in you, that you'd allow us to rest and enjoy who you've made us to be and enjoy your presence. And God, I thank you so much for the good plans and purposes you have for each person in here. We love you so much. Amen.